Well, good morning again. You know what? I failed to uh, introduce myself just in case uh, some of you may not know who I am. I'm Dan Temple, and I am the pastor of kids and family ministries here at Wawasee Bible. I'm in my fourth year in that role, uh, but I've been involved with this church for about 15 years now. Um, and honestly, as I, as I was sitting there, I don't, I don't get to make it into the main service that often, because I'm usually back with the kids in the morning. But as I'm sitting in the pew, it just it reminded me of that 15 years ago. I think I, I sat in like the lamb and doll section uh, the first time. <laughs> So, Pete, I'm sorry. Pete, I'm sorry if I took your seat. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but but um, I just remember that like it was yesterday. And as I look back and think of how far God has brought me, and I don't just mean being up here or being in ministry. I just mean where he's brought me personally. I owe it. I owe so much of it to this body. And so I'm so grateful to be here. So grateful to be able to serve each day this body in different ways. But uh, it's a thrill for me to to be able to serve in this way this morning, too. So I appreciate the opportunity that all of you have given me to do it, and I just pray that God would uh, use it and that he would lift us all up. As I was preparing, actually, let me put a clock up here. That was one of the first pieces of advice I got. Because <laughs> with kids, it's easy. They just start getting up and going to the bathroom, and you know it's time. Maybe you guys do, too. I don't know. I got some good pieces of advice uh, as preparing for this. Again, since this is new territory for me, new ground, uh, one of which was just stick to the word, which was probably the best piece of advice I got. You can't get any different than that. Um, Stick to the material. That's easy to do in kids' church because that's called sticking to the curriculum. When you do it up here, you start borrowing other people's stuff. That's called plagiarism. We don't want to do that, all right? Just plagiarize from God's word. Uh, Another piece of advice I got was just be yourself. And that was the first bad piece of advice I felt like I got because um, I, all I could think was, I can't stand that guy. Why would I want to be him, you know? Um, but this morning, I received a text from my brother with a good piece of advice also. And if you don't know my brother, he's four minutes older than me. And... We're pretty similar, so we both kind of have an odd sense of humor. Um, you know, we both have wives that are out of our league, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> All right, this was his advice this morning as he, he was encouraging me. He said, have a good service this morning. Just dumb it down from what you do with the kids and you'll be fine. <laughs> so... If you happen to run into a guy who looks like me but has a beard in Warsaw, now you have something to talk about, right? <laughs> Remind him of this, okay? Well, this morning, as you can tell from the sermon intro, we're going to be starting just a brief study in the book of Jude. So as we open, I want you to go ahead and, and turn to that in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, just grab one in the pew rack in front of you. Jude uh, is a lot like me. It's short and sweet. Maybe that's why we chose it, right? Jude is a very small letter in the New Testament. It's kind of easy to pass over. So to easily find it, just turn to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, and go back one, okay? There it is, Jude. It's only 25 verses. It's short, and we'll be covering it over the next three weeks. Uh, I'll be doing uh, this morning's introduction, and Pastor Kirk will be providing us uh, with with the remaining two sections. 
As you can tell from uh, just the title of the sermon series, Contend, this is kind of the key issue, the key teaching, the key theme in the book of Jude is to contend for the faith. Now, when you hear the word contend, maybe you have different images come up in mind. Mine, really, the first thing that goes to is defending the faith, is, is having an answer for people when they come at you, when they attack you about the faith. But before we do that, let's read through uh, the first four verses, which we'll be covering this morning. And you can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered to all the saints, or to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ." When you hear contending, like I said earlier, maybe different pictures come up in your head. I know they do for me. I want to just kind of share a couple things with you. This next picture, here's one that really comes to mind. And if you're not familiar with history, specifically church history, this is a guy named Martin Luther, who 500 years ago this October, we get to celebrate the 500th anniversary of him. He, he wasn't filing a complaint at his barber, although he probably could have. He... <laughs> Martin Luther was a monk. He was part of the church, and the church was very corrupt at the time, and they had veered from the truth of the Scripture, and there was a lot of, um, just a lot of bad teaching going on. And he'd been fed up, and he scribbled down 95 different bits of opposition to this bad teaching, to this bad leadership in the church, and it got to where he was so passionate about it that on October 31st, Halloween, see, you can dress up as Martin Luther for Halloween this year. On Halloween, 500 years ago, he took that paper and he went to the chapel in Wittenberg, Germany, and he nailed it to the front to make a statement. That's my idea of contending. This is what I think about. I think of a guy who sees what's wrong with the church and wants to make it right. And it started off, it just kind of annoyed a few different teachers, but it turned into one of the greatest changes in the church in the history of the church called the Protestant Reformation. And that's why we're called Protestants and not Catholics. This is where this began, okay? I also have images of academia, academics, okay? I think of those who are uh, seminary professors who who teach people on a very deep level how to comb through the Scriptures. Uh, Apologists, if you don't know what an apologist is, apologetics is just the study of defending the faith, And I actually love reading this stuff, and I've talked to Randy and I kind of go back about this a little bit, but it's basically their goal to defend the faith, primarily to those who just don't believe in the Bible or don't even believe in God. Um, I've had the privilege of of reading and actually attending a debate with a man named William Lane Craig, who debated um, one of the country's most famous atheists, uh, Sam Harris, and it was just an interesting debate. But when I see that, I kind of stand in awe. Because I'm like, there's no way I could come up with arguments like that. There's no way I could come up with a line of logic or reason like that, that this guy does. And so I see that and I think, okay, I'm supposed to contend, but I can't do that. 
All right? So those are a couple images that come to mind. I also have some negative images that come to mind. You guys ever seen pictures like this? Maybe seen this particular picture? Um, I don't want to pick on this kid because he's a victim of his family. And I would consider this child abuse. Uh, There's a church in Topeka, Kansas called Westboro Baptist Church. Maybe you've heard of it. This is kind of what they're known for. If you look them up on Wikipedia, it starts talking about hate speech, things like that, that they're just anti-everything. And not only are they anti-everything, they're vocal about everything. So they're constantly picketing. Uh, They protest military funerals and call the soldiers baby killers. They're very disrespectful to our military. They're disrespectful to just people in general. And they're hateful. And as far as I'm concerned, they're disrespectful to God because they're telling people God hates them. That isn't biblical. And I'm not even going to repeat the kid's shirt, but that kind of ticks me off too. All right? This is, another, this is another example of contending for the faith. This kid, his parents, this whole church, they believe that what they're doing when they hold those signs up and scream and yell at people and condemn them, that they are contending for the true faith. Well, there's another church that kind of posted on their church sign a response to this, which I really like. It says, live so fully that Westboro Baptist Church will picket your funeral. I thought that was a good, good way to respond to that. That was good. So it, it's obvious that there's some... And we could go on even outside of the church, right? We could, we could look at Islamic extremists. They're contending for their faith. You understand? People who do violent acts. People who do hateful things. People also who just veer away from the scriptures. They're contending for what they understand is the faith. And so when we're called to contend for the faith, we need to make sure that we're doing what Scripture is actually telling us to do. And Jude is writing to this group of people and saying, you need to contend for your faith, but there's context. There's ways we need to do that. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. All right, but first I want to center around just on who Jude actually is. If we look again at verse 1, this is all that Jude tells us about himself. He describes himself as Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Well, it's fitting that we actually uh, move into the book of Jude because Jude is actually brothers with the guy that we just studied. What was the book that we just studied? James, all right? This is another brother, okay? He figured, ah... James could do it. Why can't I? You know, one of those things maybe you've had with your siblings. But he wrote this, and he describes himself as a brother of James. Now, how can we be sure? Well, first off, just looking at Jude himself, Jude is just another Greek form of the name Judas. And there's just a small handful of Judases that we know of uh, in the Scripture and in the early church. Uh, The first being in Mark 6, 3, as one of Jesus' brothers... And if you remember back in the introduction to James, we talked about this a little bit, that, that um, Jesus had several brothers. One of them was Judas. Uh, we also know that there was two Judases who were disciples of Jesus. One of them was Judas Iscariot, and the other one is referred to as Judas of James. Now, Judas Iscariot, we know that wasn't him because he didn't last long. You know, He didn't last to the end of the Gospels, okay? Um, he betrayed Christ. And he committed suicide. That wasn't him. The other one, Judas of James, this could be a little confusing. 
The Jude in our book, in our, in our letter, refers to himself as the brother of James. And this Jude is referred to as Judas of James. Okay? But this, this reference of Judas of James is referring to his father. Okay? Just like it would be, I'm Dan of Larry. You know? Sounds kind of cool, actually. So maybe we'll start doing that. Uh, there's also another Judas in, in the book of Acts called Judas called Barsabbas. And he was, a, he was a worker who accompanied Paul to Antioch on his missionary journey. Okay? Um, but it's very likely, and just looking at the context and looking at church tradition, that this Jude, this Judas, that is being referred to as the Judas that was in Mark 6.3, who was Jesus' brother. And we actually see this confirmed very early in the church, um, even while relatives were still, old relatives were maybe still living. Uh, we see this, um, let me find it here. In the second century, uh, Clement of Alexandria, he actually, uh, this was the very early part of the second century, maybe even the late part of the first century, taught that this was Jesus' brother, and they, they recognized the book of Jude as scripture, even that early. And we can also know this from James, and we're not going to go too much into who this James was, because Josh already did the footwork. Uh, if you haven't, if you don't remember that, you can listen to the podcast from April 23rd, 2017, titled An Introduction to James. And uh, that's a nice way to spend your commute in the morning, is listening to uh, the message. So this Jude that we're talking about is most likely the brother of James from Jerusalem and the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Regardless of his relationship to those two, his introduction really, I think, tells us a lot about who he viewed himself to be. If you look again at what he refers to himself, he says, Jude, a servant, and actually the word there is slave. He's not just, he's not just a helper. He's, he's, he's a bought slave of Jesus. He's a slave of Jesus and a brother of James. And this just kind of sets up the order, um, I think, is a good example to us as where we should view ourselves in the church. Because, you know, I'm Randy, right? <laughs> but who comes first? Who should come first? Jesus should come first. Who should come second? Your brothers and sisters, right? Who should come last? It should be Randy, right? That should be last. And I think he sets up a very good example for us, even though he was obviously a leader in the church and an authority in the church. And even though he could have laid claim to divine authority being the brother of Jesus, rather than doing that, he recognized who he was compared to Jesus and compared to his fellow believers. Well, given our confidence that that's the Jude that this was, this was probably written about mid-first century, 60s to the 80s, okay? I don't want to go too much into the history there because it can start to make you nod off. Um, But who is his audience? We don't really know much about about that either. Um, When we look at who he wrote to, the only thing that we can be certain about is that they're called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. So we know that they're believers in Christ. We know they're Christians. That's what we know about them. We don't know what particular church they're from. We don't know if it's a group of churches. We don't know anything. The early church recognizes this as what they call a Catholic epistle, which basically just means it was meant for the whole church, um, and it could apply to anybody. But um, when we start to study, we're going to see that there's some pretty specific warnings and specific concerns here in this body. So I believe that it's probably addressing a specific church. All right, well, the bottom line is we don't know where it went, but we do know that they were believers in Christ, okay? 
Well, what was the purpose of, and we kind of covered this already, but the purpose of Jude, we find in verse 3. It says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about your common salvation, or our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. When Jude was writing this letter, when he was getting ready to write this letter, he wanted to, he wanted to write a happy letter. He wanted to write a good letter. He wanted to say, you know what? We share the most beautiful thing in the world. We share a common faith in Jesus Christ. That's what I want to share with you. That's what I want to talk about. But the circumstances called for something else. The circumstances called for something that was greater than even the unity that they shared as a church. Let me say that again just to make sure it sticks. Something was more important than the unity that they shared together as a body of believers. Is unity important in the church? Absolutely. Unity is important. It's not even important. It's necessary. That's what we should strive for. We need to strive for unity. We need to try to grow closer together in Christ, right? But when that faith that does actually hold us together is threatened, that becomes our priority, That becomes our priority. And Jude is saying, we share a faith, but that very faith that we share is at risk because somebody is messing with the faith. And I need to call you to contend for that faith. Now, Jude later spent a lot of time in his letter exposing who these enemies were, who these apostates were. And Pastor Kirk is going to be covering that in the next couple weeks uh, about who they actually are. But this morning, I want to focus on a couple things that I feel like we can pull out of these first short verses from Jude. Now, obviously, we know that God wants us to, or that, that we're called to fight for the faith. We're called to contend for the faith. But I would argue, and I would say that we can pull from Jude 1 through 4, that he wants us to not only contend for the faith, but he wants to make sure that that fight of ours is focused. So we're going to be called to focus our fight. Because if we don't focus, you know what happens? We start fighting the wrong fights with the wrong people over the wrong things. And we don't even, and we end up achieving a goal that wasn't our goal in the first place. You know, if you're playing basketball and you're going for the wrong goal, I mean, that's, that's dumb, right? Nobody would think to do that. But if you didn't have that goal clarified, if you didn't know what team you were on, if you didn't know what end you were on, if you didn't know any of that, you'd be lost. And so we need to know what team we're on. We need to know what we're fighting for. We need to know why we're fighting. And we need to know who we're actually fighting if we're going to be faithful to this command to contend for the faith. Let's pray before we dive into that a little deeper. All right, Heavenly Father, God, we thank you again for your word. And we thank you for this, this letter, this small letter that's often overlooked uh, that you penned through Jude. And um, it's an urgency uh, that, that he has in his letter that was really applicable 2,000 years ago, but it's just as important today. Because, God, we find that our faith is being diluted. We find that it's being attacked. And we find that there's a, is just as great a need today in 2017 as there was then that we need to contend for the faith. But God, we also know there's a huge need that to, to not just shoot from the hip and not just start following our, our hearts and our passions unless those hearts and those passions are being defined by what you want them to be defined by. So God, I pray that even as we look at focusing our fight, that you would just help us focus this morning, 
Help us focus on, on um, what we need to learn. Focus on areas of our life that may even require more focus. And uh, God, we ask that you would um, just use, use my words this morning and that you would bless our time of learning. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you guys know I'm a children's pastor, and this is kind of new territory for me. And I was trying to weigh the pros and cons of, you know, hey, do I like kids' ministry better, or what do I want to be in here? So I was thinking, okay, what's the differences? Here's some differences I came up, all right? On the upside of being, I'm going to look at what's the positives here, okay? On the positive side, there's hopefully going to be fewer interruptions, all right? And that's an expectation, We'll review the rules this morning, right? On the other hand, there's a lot more facial hair than I'm used to in here, which I I don't want to necessarily say that's a negative, but it can be kind of distracting sometimes, right? The good news is there's going to be fewer off-topic comments and questions. You know how fun it is to present the gospel to a group of nine-year-olds and just very serious about it and, and, and... would, would anybody like to share a decision they've made? And somebody comes up and says, I had a hot dog for breakfast. <laughs> Spoiled the moment, you know. So hopefully we'll see fewer of that. The bad news is there might be more dozing off in here, okay? We don't usually see anybody sleeping, sleeping in kids' church, but we might see some of that here, but I won't judge you, okay? Another advantage, I get to use 20-year-old pop culture references and someone will actually get it. Do you know how hard it is to quote Seinfeld to eight and nine-year-olds? They're like, what's a Seinfeld, you know? And they don't, they don't, what's a Kramer? They don't get it. All right, unfortunately, the bad side, the snacks here aren't as good as they are back there, right? By the way, who brought the snacks? Anybody? No? All right. On the upside, I can share my family stories without embarrassing my kids, okay? On the downside, I can't share family stories without embarrassing my wife. That's probably the greater danger there. Um, you know, another positive, though, is that I get to teach uh, from the same Bible I do with the kids each week. Uh, word, God, word, word, word of God it doesn't change. It doesn't change from back there to here, okay? And there's really no downside to that one. So um, I, I'm just, like I said, I'm honestly thrilled to be here and to talk to you about focus. And I just lost my focus just by talking about that with you, okay? You know, <laughs> realizing... If you have kids back there, you guys, and I do too, so we're all in this together. Your kids are pros at throwing me off course. I'll just tell you that. But none greater than mine. All right, so let's focus our fight. Well, we could look at this as kind of the preparation phase of our fight. Um, I like uh, what... General Patton said once, he said, the more you sweat in peace, the less you'll bleed in war. Okay? So we're going to look at this as time of peace, okay? This is the time that we're not facing huge persecution in the church. This is a time that we're not facing um, huge dangers yet, but we are facing some things. And this is a time for us to sweat, okay? This is a time for us to sharpen our axe. And... um, Here's what we're going to do. Let's look again at Jude 1 and 2. 
And I want to look at three areas of focus that were provided by Jude that are going to give us the proper perspective as we engage in the fight for the faith. All right, in 1 and 2, he says, To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may may mercy, I keep saying Percy, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. This first point, I believe that we are called to focus on our true position. And when I say our true position, I mean our true position in Christ. Jude describes our salvation in the following words. He says we're called. This is a reminder that our salvation isn't from us. Okay, we are called. If I call you on the phone, who dialed the number? It was me, right? Who called? All right, there, there's a call that we see, we see mentioned in Scripture. And um, we see this in 1 Peter 2, 9, where it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, there's some different ideas of what called means. We're not going to talk about it, okay? (laughs) Because the main point is that God initiated our salvation. God came after us. And if you don't believe it, just read the Gospels. He sent his son. He gave us his word. He calls out to us. Because if you don't know Jesus, he's calling to you. He's doing it through his word, okay? We have such a privilege to even have this book that we can know what God wants us to do, that we can know that he loves us and that he's called to us. Okay, so we're called We're called. It's initiated by God, and it's an act of love. He also says that we're loved. Here he he refers to it as beloved in God the Father. This is an act of love, guys. For those who believe God loves you. And he didn't just love you back at the cross when he sent his only son to die for you. Did he love you then? Absolutely. But guess what? He still loves you. He's still loving you. He's going to love you tomorrow. He's going to love you the next day. He's going to keep loving you. And it's not just this, I love you type of love. It's active, passionate love, powerful love. We see his original love expressed in Christ in 1 John 4, 9 through 11. It says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In Lamentations 3, 22 through 23, we get to see God's steadfast love through the remainder of our lives and for eternity. It says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. How many of you experience God's mercy and love and faithfulness this morning. Okay? Yeah, everybody's hands should go up because we all didn't. Now, you may not have recognized it, okay? Because sometimes we have blinders on and we don't know. But everybody here did. Everybody's sucking air. Everybody got here safe. Uh, Everybody just got to be on earth. And that's an act of love. It's a huge act of love. We got to gather together for worship in a free country. That's an act of love from God. We get to pray to him. 
I mean, you guys ever sit and think about what prayer is? I mean, do you realize that's like the greatest king of the world? You have a direct access line to. I mean, this is all elementary stuff. That's what I do. But we need to remember this stuff. We need to be reminded of it. Guys, we have direct access to the God of the universe who made everything that we can ever see outside and more, who made us, who sent his son to die for us. We get to just go talk to him. I mean, there's people in this county I can't get access to because they're too important or too busy. Because we get to go to him. That's a God who loves us. Well, Jude goes on, he says, we're called, we're loved. He says, we're also kept. He says, you're kept for Jesus Christ. Guys, this is our hope. It's our assurance of an eternal future with our Heavenly Father. We anticipate Jesus' return in the kingdom he will establish. In 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, it says, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven... For you, who by God's power are being guarded through faithful through faith, a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. If you're a Christian, if you've trusted Christ, guess what? You were called by God. You are loved by him. Right this moment, you're loved by him. And you're also kept for Christ to the end. You're going to make it. That's the reality of who you are as a Christian. And guess what? It's all about God. God's the one who's doing it. He initiated it. He keeps you. He preserves you. He's the one who initiates that loving relationship. He did it. He's the boss. He's in charge. Okay, this is who we're fighting for. We're fighting for the one who saves us, the one who loves us, and the one who keeps us. That means it's God's mission. It's God's agenda. What he wants us to do, we're we're just following orders. Okay? We get to follow orders. All right? We're not lone rangers. We're a body. Okay? The body of Christ. He's got the situation under control, and we answer to him. We're on his agenda, his battle plan, not our own. Um, Years ago when I worked in foster care, I got to work with some of the higher need foster kids. And there was a time back in probably late 90s, early 2001, specifically like in Elkhart County, St. Joseph County, where judges were left and right terminating parental rights for these kids, which if you don't know what that means, it basically just means the court now says you don't have parents. The court is your parent. And this was the group of kids that were coming up from this that had been in that situation for five years, 10 years, whatever. And These are the ones I got a chance to work for. And the aimlessness that they experienced. Because who's mom? Who's dad? Who's grandma? Who's grandpa? Well, it's some guy I see once a month in court. That's awful. And that's that's, this aimlessness, this purposelessness that they find. I had one young man who who grew up in Russia, a street kid. And just some of his stories were amazing. Um, Heart-wrenching, but amazing. But he became a survival, a survivalist. So when he came to this country, he was adopted by a nice, good Christian family who spent a couple years abusing him. And so now at 16, he's in a foster home, and he doesn't care about anything. 
He doesn't care about anybody. Why would he? Nice kid. Had a good time getting to know him. But the second you tried to get even remotely close to him, he was off. He was gone. He had no relationship. He didn't know who he was because he didn't know whose he was. And so we don't have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's the situation we're in. Maybe it feels better to us, but we're lost, we're hopeless, we're pointless, we're purposeless. Okay? So we need to grasp who we are in Christ. And to do that, Jerry Bridges used to say, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Remember who you are and what God did for you. Okay? If you have not trusted Christ, if you are not a believer, this is who you could be. This is who you could be. God is calling out to you. He's calling out to you right now through me. He's calling out to you through his word. He's calling out to you as you leave and you see the sign that says you are loved. Because that doesn't mean Wawasee Bible Church loves you, although we do. It means somebody who loves even greater than we ever could loves you. That's him calling to you. And if you turn to him in repentance, you humble yourself and you confess your sin and you trust in the work of Jesus, then you can be called, you can be loved, and you can be kept for eternity. That's your position. Well, we, all, we have a position, but we also have power available to us. And Jude goes on, and he says, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now, Jude was blessing them, saying, I want you to have mercy, I want you to have peace, I want you to have love, because you're going to need it in the fight. You're going to need this to keep you strong. You're going to need it to keep you going. But he also wants to give it to them because you're going to need it to actually contend correctly. The fruit of the Spirit, which includes mercy, peace, and love, uh, it's all necessary for us to endure the fight, but also necessary for us to fight it correctly. Okay? We're not out to contend in a spirit of anger, malice, vengeance, and pride. We are not Westboro Baptist Church. Okay? If we were, I would burn this place to the ground. And I would gladly do the jail time. Okay, probably extreme, but... We are not Westboro Baptist Church. Okay? Romans 8, 11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That's the power that we have available to us in the spirit. So we have God's power. All right, we also go in God's attitude. So we go in the power of the Holy Spirit. We go in the attitude of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us an attitude of that mercy, love, and peace. Do you know what a Christian pit bull is? Have you ever heard that expression? Larry Osborne, uh, he's a pastor at North Coast Church in California. Uh, we actually at the pastor's conference had the privilege of uh, hearing him for a few days. Uh, great leader, great pastor. Um, he knows the word. Uh, he knows the church greatly. He wrote a book called Accidental Pharisees talking about how well-intentioned Christians can kind of slip in to becoming hypocrites, to becoming kind of that Christian people don't like. He said becoming a Pharisee, an accidental Pharisee, is like having dinner at Denny's 
nobody ever plans on it, but you just kind of end up there, you know? That, that, that's what this is. But he refers to, under the, the title of Jerks for Jesus, says you've probably known a jerk for Jesus. He also refers to them as Christian pit bulls. Someone who thought they were advancing the cause of the kingdom, when in reality they were simply embarrassing the king. He's passionate about the scriptures. He loves to study, digs deep. He knows far more than most, so he's taken it upon himself to become a spiritual watchdog to protect the rest of us. He barks at and then attacks anyone who misspeaks or misuses or misunderstands the Bible. He thinks he's helping out Jesus by keeping the heretics out. The problem is that God never asked him to be a pit bull for right doctrine. God asks him and all of us to contend for the faith, but he asks us to do it in a manner exactly opposite of the way my pit bull friend defends the gospel. We're supposed to avoid quarreling, to be kind, and to gently instruct people who oppose us. We see this in Paul's letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. I don't think I have a slide for that. But he gives Timothy similar instruction. And Timothy, being a young guy, maybe had that temptation to jump on people and say, well, here's what I know. I grew up in the faith. My grandma, my mom, they taught me everything. I know what I'm talking about. Here's Paul's word to him. He said, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So as we contend for the faith, we need to make sure we're aware of our position in Christ, and we want to move in the power of the Holy Spirit and the attitude of the Holy Spirit. So that kind of sets some foundation there for us. Moving on to Jude verse 3. It says, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. This is our second area of focus. We want to focus on our position. We also want to focus on our true faith. Before we look at what the true faith is, what I want to do is give you an idea what contend is. Again, we talked earlier, sometimes we limit it to the idea of defending something. But actually, the sermon lead, the intro, I really like that video because it gave us a lot of words of what it means to contend. It means to champion. It means to strive. It means to struggle. It also means to defend. It means to protect. It means to do all those things that we do when we care about something. Everybody contends one time or another. Um, Everybody here has opinions. Some of them are stronger than others, but we all have opinions. Some of us share more frequently than others, but we all share our opinions. We express our likes, our dislikes. Did you know when I, if I leave a restaurant and say that was the best steak I ever had, I'm contending for that steak. I'm championing it. I'm saying this is great, right? It's a waste of time though, okay? Contending is not passive. It's active. It, it takes action. We announce our beliefs. We defend our positions. The problem is we usually only contend over the things that matter to us. And if the right things don't matter to us, we don't contend for the right things. I've never had a strong conversation or debate about any kind of sports game in my life. I just don't care. You know, the only football injury I've ever had is when somebody hit me with a football, you know. (laughs) 
I just, I have no, no passion for it, no interest. I like watching football sometimes. It's just, it's not there. And so I cannot have a passionate conversation. But if somebody asked me who was the best band in the 60s, or, you know, something real important like that, I will have an hour-long conversation with you to defend that it was indeed the Beatles. Or Zeppelin. Sorry. All right, but those are the things that we care about. There's other things too, and those are trite things, but our families, we contend for our families. We contend for whatever series we're currently watching on Netflix. We contend for our jobs, our politics, anything that we're serious about. I want to stop at this idea of families because if you want to know what it means to contend, spend some time with a parent. Spend some time with a good parent, and especially a good new parent. Because you'll be going to the store, and they put their kid in the... Well, before they put their kid in the cart, they get out, you know, the yellow uh, uh, suit so they can sterilize it. No, they don't go that extreme. But, I mean, they, they wipe everything down. They sterilize it. They're contending for their kids. They're protecting them. They're keeping them safe. They're keeping them healthy. When you ask them uh, about school, people, people decide where they're going to live based on the school system. People do that a lot around here. Okay? Where they're going to go to school. Who their friends are going to be. What church you go to. You're contending for your kids. You're looking out for what's best for them. You're championing for them. When we care, we contend. When we care, we contend. Now, all believers are called to contend, not just pastors or professors or apologists. Jude didn't write this to a group of seminarians. He didn't write this to a group of, um, it's not for a pastor's conference or anything like that. This is to the church. He's saying, I want you to contend. So if we want to contend, we need to care. And if we want to care, we need to know what we're contending about. And this is where we come to contending for the faith. What was Jude referring to when he's referring to the faith? He describes it as the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. At this time, they didn't have 66 books in their Bible. They were still kind of putting it together. But the faith that was coming down was coming directly from the apostles, the witnesses of Jesus Christ, who God was inspiring to write Scripture and to give them the truth. This was the faith. That's where it's at. That's where the faith is found. It was found then. It's found now. Okay? When we're, when we're trying to look for other traditions, when we're trying to look for other, um, other ideas of what it means to be a Christian, we start to come up with our own ideas, and that's a problem. But we do need to start on a foundational principle with our faith, okay? It's 11 after already. Let's go quick. All right. (laughs) Because it's important. Let me tell you, if you go outside, if you go to the diner tonight or, or whatever, and you have a conversation about God, I can almost guarantee you that you will not be talking about the same thing the person across from you is talking about. There used to be a time where we could mention God, we could talk about God, and everybody in the room would know you're talking about the God of the Bible. That's not true anymore. It hasn't been true for a little while. Because everybody's got their own idea, whether it's from another religion, whether it's from just 
a different upbringing and a different type of church, whether it's just false understanding because they're trying to figure out. But it's important for us to have a good understanding of who God is. All right? So the first part of our faith is we believe in the existence of a holy God, and so we defend the doctrine of God. I like using big words for the kids because they tend to remember them a little better and they just feel like big stuff when we do. But there's two big words I want to use here for God that the Bible describes him as. He is both imminent and transcendent. Imminent means he's close, he's personal. He he shows us this in scripture, even at creation. When he creates Adam, he doesn't just... Go like that, and there's Adam. He actually forms him, and he breathes into him. And when he creates Eve, he actually performs surgery with his hands on her. You know, he speaks to Abraham. He speaks to Noah. He speaks through his prophets. He came to us in the greatest closeness ever. He came to us as human. He came to us as Jesus. Okay? So God is close and personal. We can know him. He's not far away. He's not uninterested. That's a key part of who God is. Psalm 145, 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. On the flip side, God is also transcendent. Maybe you've heard this word referring to God before. As true as it is to know God, we can only know him in part. Okay? If we can know God fully, he's not God. He's your neighbor. All right? His glory goes far beyond anything we can grasp. He's not part of the world in the way that we are, and we're not part of him. Okay, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. If you think you've got God figured out, start reading the Bible. Start to be amazed by him. Three or four weeks ago, I was spending time with our third and fourth graders back in, in Wawasee Kids, and we were talking about the miracles of Jesus. And these guys just started asking these questions. So it went into the attributes of God. And we spent, I mean, they would have talked forever. I'm thinking about doing a Q&A day or something back there. But they just wanted to know, well, if, so when was God born? Well, he wasn't born. So what's that mean? Well, it means he's eternal. He's forever. So he'll never die, right? Yeah, that's right. He'll never die. Well, Jesus died. Well, yeah, but... (laughs) Well, so if he was never born, so when did he begin? Well, he didn't begin. And this is where I started being like, whoa, wait a second. This took me back to third grade. When I'm laying in bed, I have vivid memories of this. I'm laying in bed, looking up at the ceiling and thinking, God's eternal. I get that he'll live forever. That makes sense to me because it just does. But then I start thinking, no beginning. So I start going back, back, back and I, I just couldn't do it. And my mind would be blown, and I'd stay up too late. And then I'd start to have to think about something else. But guys, when I was having that conversation, it reminded me, we need to be having these thoughts. We need to be laying up at night in bed thinking about these incredible things about God that we just don't understand. Because it reminds us, we're not God. He's so much other than us. He's so much greater than us. And that just that gives us a firmer foundation in our faith. So he's both imminent, he's close, but he's also transcendent. He's completely other. Now these both come together in the doctrine of the Trinity. 
Talk about another one that we try to explain too much, right? So the third one there is God is triune, meaning he's Trinity. Here's the doctrine of the Trinity, as simply as we can possibly say it. There is one eternal God, one eternal God, who exists fully in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's the Trinity, all right? And you can try to explain it with shamrocks, eggs, water vapor, all that other stuff. And, and that's one thing in kids' ministry. We try to figure out, how do we explain the Trinity? Well, you know what? We don't. We can't. Because we're talking about God. We're talking about somebody who's eternal, who is so much more than we can ever wrap our minds around. So we need to be careful when we come up with, with pictures of that. Because, yeah, you can. it's helpful with kids. You can hold up an egg and say, well, here's one egg. But it's a shell, it's the white, it's the yolk. So it's three parts in one. But then you got to backtrack and say, well, God's not three parts. He's one God. Jesus is fully God. The Holy Spirit's fully God. The Father's fully God. So that's another one. Hey, stay up tonight thinking about it, okay? The problem is when we try to explain things and we try to make more sense of them, we change them. Okay, and there's a little teaching called modalism that tries to make sense of Trinity. And it says, basically in a sense, it says that God, there's one God, so it confirms that. It says he simply revealed himself in three different modes. And he's not three persons. So we see God the Father in the Old Testament. We see God the Son in the Gospels and part of Acts. And then the remainder of the church, we see God the Holy Spirit. That is not a biblical teaching. Okay, because it makes less of who God is. And there's plenty of other teachings too. Um, and this is, this is why we need to be careful that we start with Scripture, not with our own understanding of things. Well, above all, God is holy. He's the sovereign one. He's above everything. We see this in Isaiah 6.3 and Revelation 4.8. Both times when we have angelic beings, when they see God's glory, they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Or holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holiness is a big subject. You could probably do a whole sermon series on it. But it means he's worthy of reverence. He's worthy of awe. Everything he does is perfect, right, good, even when it's hard to understand. This is who our God is. And when we think of anything less, we walk away from the faith. Because this is foundational. All right, the next... The next part of our faith, and I think we're going to wrap up with this. The next part of our faith is the authority of Scripture. You see, the God that we just described has been revealed to us in Scripture. That's where we come up with that. That's where we know that. And we need to hold up the authority of Scripture because it is the very Word of God. We read in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is breathed out by God. How much of Scripture is breathed out by God? All of it. All of it. And you might think, well, how do we know what those 66 books are scriptures? Well, I'm glad you asked because we are going to be um, relaunching Doctrine Wednesdays uh, this fall. And one of the topics that we'll be covering is how we got our Bible. Among other things, the Trinity might be one too. So those should be pretty interesting for us. But God's word is breathed out by God, all of it. It's also living and active 
Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This idea of being active is also translated as powerful. God's word is powerful. It's effective. It sets out what it wants to do. God's word is also life-changing. I would encourage you to go to Psalm 119. It's the longest psalm in the book. And just spend a week just pouring through it. Because this is just filled with ideas of the life-giving nature of the Word of God. A few examples for you. In verse 1 it says, Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. God's Word brings joy. In verse 9, How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your Word. It brings purity. It brings morality. Verse 28, I weep with sorrow. Encourage me by your Word. It brings comfort. Verse 98, your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they're my constant guide. God's word brings wisdom. And in verse 105, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. God's word gives us direction. So we contend for the God of the gospel, or the God God of the Bible. We contend for the authority of scripture, and we also contend for the truth of the gospel. And like Paul, we can say, for I delivered to you As of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That's the gospel. The gospel isn't anything else. The gospel can be lived out in many different ways, but that's the gospel, that Christ died for us and paid the penalty for our sin and rose again, and when we trust him, we receive his righteousness. Now, Jude does go on to start to describe the people who have infiltrated the church. We're not going to go there this morning. I was going to go there a little bit, but uh, for time's sake, um, we are going to uh, save that for PK, Pastor Kirk, and uh, he'll be introducing us to those that oppose. But what I want you to do is I, I want to look at some opportunities here that we have to focus our fight specifically concerning the Word of God. It's important for us to be in God's Word. And this is one area that with many Christians is lacking. Um, Biblical illiteracy is a problem in the church. And that doesn't mean that everybody's got to go get a seminary degree. It just means spend your life in it. You don't have to finish it in a day. I was trying to think, Brian, you're in here. You've probably heard this before from me. I say this all the time with our kids. The Bible's a big book, okay? It's a really big book, but you just got to go at it like you're eating an elephant, right? How many of you have ever eaten an elephant? Yeah, me neither. What's, what's the best? Do you remember this, Brian? What's the best way to eat an elephant? One piece at a time. One bite at a time. Sometimes we come up to God's word and we think, holy cow, what do I do? And we just drop our knife and fork and we walk away, right? Instead, we just need a little bit of piece at a time and do it. I tried something when I was in college. I had a third shift job through the summer, so I was up a lot by myself. I tried to devour the whole New Testament in in seven days. It was just a challenge I posed to myself. So I figured it out how how long I'd have to read each night and stuff like that, and I did it. And do you know how useful it was to me? Zip. I couldn't have told you anything, you know. I couldn't remember it. I probably dozed off through half of it, you know. But I made it through, right? That made me great. No. 
I find more and more, and, and I think we find this in every area of our lives. As we get older, we start to slow down and realize the value in doing that. And sometimes we face our lives and we say, I'm so busy. I'm so overwhelmed. I've got to go to practice. I've got to go to work. I've got screaming kids on my knee. I've got all kinds of stuff. I don't have time to get in the Word. And those are legitimate reasons, by the way, not to sit and study the Bible for an hour. I get it. But there's time. And we need to redeem it. And a few of those, just pick a verse and read it. Okay? If you tell somebody that after they've given you all the excuses that they can't read, say, just pick a verse and read it. Think about it through the day. Say, well, that's not enough. So none is enough? Because that's what you're doing. Just pick a verse. Read it. Let it God's going to use it. God's word is powerful. All of it is, right? All of it is, like we, we saw in Timothy. Okay? Just grab a little bit. So ways to do that. We need to come together. There's, there's a reason we gather. We gather to hear God's word. It's important to be here and do that. It's important to hear it from somebody. I got to learn this week how much goes into preparing a message. Okay? At least a message like this, all right? This is something that your pastor spends time and energy on. Spent money on education to, to be able to do it, to do it. So this is a way that we honor that, that position, that leadership of our pastor, of Josh and of Kirk, that, that we can come to them and we can listen to them teach because they've done some of the heavy lifting. It doesn't mean we don't do anything, but it does mean we can benefit from their hard work, all right? We need to be willing to be fed. We can't just sit back and think, I don't like what he had to say about that. I disagree. No, we need to be willing to be fed. We also need to study the word. We mentioned Martin Luther earlier. He he considered devotional time to be all-out warfare. This is the time Satan's going to try to keep you out of the word. He's going to come up with some kind of distraction. I I should go give you a timeline of what my week looked like this week. I've never had a crazier week. And I know why. Because he's trying to keep me out of the word. He was trying to keep me ill-prepared. He was trying to keep me frustrated. He was trying to keep me away from here to say, this is what God wants us to do. Because he doesn't want us to do that. He's a jerk, right? That's just a nice word for him. That's what he tried to do. We need to discuss the word, okay? It's one thing to read. It's one thing to study. It's so important to get together with fellow believers and discuss it. That's why 110 groups are so important. We don't just do that to keep tabs on you. We don't just do that to, to fill a calendar. This is a way, and for those of you who are, have been involved in a 110 group, you know the value of discussing a piece of Scripture together with a group of people with different experiences, different backgrounds, different points of view. And we grow together that way. That's the way God designed it. He designed the church to be in community. All right? We also want to obey God's Word. And as Jude's brother James said earlier, back in James in in chapter 1, He referred to reading God's word and not doing what it says. It's the same as looking at your face in a mirror, walking away and forgetting what you look like. You just wasted your time. Okay? We need to be in God's word. We need to allow it to change us, and we need to walk in it. So we need to know our position, and we need to know our faith. And this is how we're going to know our faith. And this is how we're going to know our position, is to take God's word seriously and get in it, Get in it regularly and learn. We do it on our own. We do it together. 
We do it in small groups. We do it in large groups. But we make it part of our day-to-day life, and it's going to help build our faith. Well, you just can't get it all in, can you, Kirk? Well, I want to ask you a question. What are you fighting for? What are you contending for? Just think about that. Earlier we said when you care, you contend. We contend for the things we care about. And if we're called to contend for the faith, we need to care about the faith. Do you care about the faith? Do you contend for your own personal life? What do you contend for in your personal life? Your pride? Your success? Your personal beliefs? Your politics? Your parenting? Or are you pursuing greater and greater knowledge of God? Greater obedience to his word, greater communion with Christ. What do you contend for in your family, parents? What do you contend for in your family? Are you trying to give your kids all the best? You seek to make them the best, most upright citizens? Or are you moving them toward the God who loves them and sent his son to die for them? What about us as a body, the church? What if we contended with focus? What if we focused on all the right things as we fight for the faith? What would that look like? What if we fixed our eyes on Jesus and depended on the power of the Holy Spirit? What if we drank deeply from God's word and let it fill our minds and our hearts continually, always informing us and always changing us? What if we loved the world rather than fought it? Because as you'll see next week, the world is not our true enemy. All right? Doubting believers are not our true enemy. Our true enemy is spiritual. Our true enemy is Satan. And he's coming into the church and he's trying to change the faith quietly. That's our enemy. If we loved the world rather than fought it, if we loved one another rather than fighting over our own agendas, what if we became a body of believers who knows what it means to continually contend for the faith? What if we all built deep roots in the body and created meaningful relationships with one another? I believe if we did all these things, we'd be a unified body ready to ward off any attempts from the enemy to pervert the gospel. We'd be ready. We'd live as those who hope, persevering through even the greatest attacks. When things get bad, we'll be okay. We'd know God's word, being equipped to lovingly come alongside those who doubt, leading them in the truth. We'd be a place that welcomes doubters because we're confident in the faith. We would be more eager to redeem the culture rather than fight it, knowing that the lost world we find ourselves in is not the enemy, but the mission. We would bring glory to God, our only master in Lord Jesus Christ. So let's contend with focus. Let's know our true position in Christ. Let's know the true faith. And as we'll see next week, let's know the true enemy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are bigger than we can ever imagine and that you, that we can go in your power and we can go um, with a strong foundation that is you, a holy God. We're also grateful for your word, for providing us with the scriptures to, to know you more, to know you better, 
and to know what your will is for our lives. And God, I pray that you would ignite a passion within this group of believers that we would strive so much to just drink from your word and know it and learn it together so that when things get worse or when things creep in through the doors that are challenging the very beliefs that our body was founded on, that we would be ready and that we would not give anything a foothold, that we would be able to stand strong and we'd be able to do it in a way that's honoring to you that doesn't leave a bad taste in the world's mouth and that doesn't divide us, but that creates an even stronger unity, a stronger witness, and brings even more glory to you. Father, go with us this week as we, as we contend, and I pray that we would gain focus as we do that. I ask all this in your son's name. Amen.